Okay, welcome to the Bobcast, number five. This is the end of February, the year's 2020. I'm Dean Arnold, your host, and our cause célèbre, I think that's a French phrase, is Bob LaBelle himself. And um, we're going to talk today about uh, Bob being an audiophile and just the whole world of sound and all that sort of thing. Um, And it's going to be kind of fun. Um, I got some notes of some other things I wanted to just briefly talk about today. Number one, let's talk about me. We'll make it the Dean cast here just for a little bit. Go for it. Um, I finished my audiobook today. Speaking of audio files. Um, so uh, maybe I should interview you then. Yeah, maybe you should. Um, it's, it's the rough. I mean, I've still got to polish it up and that sort of thing, but I've, I've spoken out. 300 pages, 26 chapters of my book that came out about three months ago called Unknown Empire. It's about Ethiopia uh, and the Christian civilization there for 2,000 years and Jewish civilization for 1,000 years before that. But uh, uh, it's no small feat standing in that studio and uh, (coughs) getting every single word right for hours and hours and hours. So, sounds like a job. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it, but I, I'm glad it's done. I don't. I wouldn't want to do it again anytime soon. Um, so, uh, item number one: Dean has finished his audiobook. Uh, question number two: Do do we talk about your family develops developments on here, or do we do, do we do we stay uh, coy on that? Haven't you had some big things happening with some of your children? <laughs> yeah, I have a daughter that just uh, got married and has a baby on the way. There you go. Yeah, that's that's a couple of small things. Um, big things. Yeah, big things. Great things. Um, yeah. And for all sorts of reasons related to all that, all the developments are something we're praising the Lord for. Absolutely. Although this is 2020, you know, in 19. 19- 70, it might not have been exactly the same, but um, God is good. Absolutely. Uh, is there going to be a wedding? The wedding has happened. Oh, wow. How was it? <laughs> <laughs> They're married, so mission accomplished. <laughs> oh, good, good. I think there's going to be a bigger celebration coming for friends. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Okay, good, good out because obviously I wasn't invited to this wedding that I did not know even happened. Um, Okay, great. Um, Yeah, that's exciting. Um, All righty. Current events. Last week we talked briefly about the coronavirus. You got anything else to say about that? No. Been keeping up with it a little bit, but uh, you believe it's a problem? Oh, sure, it's a problem, but uh, it remains to be seen how big a problem. I'll let you fill us in on all the conspiracies of the day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, I got to give a a little admission because this is kind of sort of funny, sort of cynical, but... um, uh, I've never really played the market, 
but I put like a hundred dollars uh, in the market last week because I knew this thing was going to tank the market and so I got it in kind of late uh, so and, and, uh, and so this time instead of playing the market to go down I played the market to go back up and I picked a couple of stocks that I think will do well uh, during this particular scare and uh, after two days I'm already up 12 percent so ready to go um, I think it's kind of interesting but <clears throat> I think it's kind of cynical to to bet on these kind of things but um, beyond that I really don't know where it's going um, and it's just something to be really prayerful for because uh, these are kind of things beyond our control um, all right coronavirus um, we have a few days delay between when we actually record this right now and it's airing so uh, who knows <laughs> what the news will be when we're talking of when people are listening to this in a few days no telling um, all right one more question what's what's your latest diet what's your what's your like you know you always got some kind of supplement thing going on or some kind of you know thing well I'm not on a uh Real particular diet or a diet you can put a name on. I guess the best way to describe it is I'm on uh, low carbs, and uh, that means a lot of lean, clean meats and green veggies, and uh, stay away from all simple carbs. And your rice, your white rice, really any rice, corn, potatoes, any of that kind of thing. I've been doing this for a few years, taking off about 50 pounds. So it's working for me, and it's not real fast. Do you uh, do you eat no carbs, or you just kind of, you know, maybe have like a spoonful of rice and three strands of pasta? What do you do? Yes. <laughs> it's, I mean, you're going to get carbs from your from spinach. You know, there's a little bit of carbs in, in greens as well, and it, it depends on what week, week you catch me. I pretty much stay away from the, the, the rice, the potatoes, all those things. Every once in a while, I'll splurge and eat a little end of a piece of a, bre of a loaf of bread, hot bread with butter on it from Carabas, uh, like we did the other day. I'll eat a just the end of it. No, just don't for say a, that. I'm busted. My wife working on me. Oh, I just meant we in general. <laughs> it was. I'm a diabetic, y'all. Yeah. So the fact that you were there is irrelevant. Maybe. Um, Unless she's listening. Uh. So this low carb thing is kind of kind of everybody's doing it now, right? It's like it's like every diet seems to be low carb. Well, sure, keto and yeah, yeah, uh, Atkins. Yep. Uh, whatever it is you're doing, has it got a name? Just low carb. That's it. I think everybody realizes has started to realize that uh, things that are high on the glycemic index aren't good for you. If you're diabetic or not diabetic, it's just not good to have something convert to sugar so quick in your body and turns to fat. Uh, we got a couple more minutes. Uh, before we get into our topic, uh, talk a little bit about what you told me about in terms of fat. How you figured out that you have a different view on fat than you did before. Eating fat. 
Golly, I uh, don't recall the conversation. I'm not an expert on on that, but I've used read to be, that. Used to be Jack Spratt, who ate no fat. <laughs> well, I read that fat does not make you fat. That's what the general consensus is now, that fat is good for you. Some fat, uh, the right kind of fats, it's good for your brain, good for mental clarity, so forth. But I'm not an expert, so you probably should interview somebody else for this topic. But uh, No, you tell me you, you uh, there was a day years ago where you and those you were affiliated with avoided all fat altogether. And then you found out that that diet may have actually been causing you harm. Oh, that's so true. And that wasn't really uh, just a diet. That was widespread thought all across the United States. Everybody was told that margarine was better than butter and you should stay away from fats and this, that, and the other. And so I ended up with a, a nerve problem that may have been caused from not having enough fat in my diet. So my outer layer of my nerves, my myelin, started to eat up, and we're not sure exactly why. But that's one of the uh, ideas is that we needed to have more healthy fats. And so, do you eat fat now? I do. Absolutely do. I love me some fat. My wife gets on me, but I, I, whenever she likes makes chili and stuff um, or any kind of like soup with ground beef in it, I'm like, don't drain out the grease. Keep the grease. It's all about the grease, um, and uh, I th that's what makes food good. Um, oh, so yeah. I'm a believer in fat. You know, back in the old days, my actually my wife is an old uh, is is in, into the old country type cooking, and uh, she's very good. Um, and she'll use a lot of fat back, and lard. Lard is like a very um, lost art, but lard, which is hard to find now in the stores. Is a is an ingredient that makes certain stuff come alive, man. Hmm. Um, so, all right, it's all about the fat. Okay, all right. Let's move into today's discussion, which is uh, your your life as an audiophile. Uh, now, I may be reaching on this topic, but um, I think it's kind of an interesting one. Um, Bob is his whole life and career has been involved around sound, um, but we'll get into your life and career in a second, but let's start with uh, where this all was forged was in uh, your upbringing. So tell us about that. Well, my father was uh, the inventor of underwater transducers or underwater loudspeakers. And so he patented and marketed underwater sounds since the late 60s, early 70s. And because of his association with the aqua, uh, well, water sports, uh, he also ended up uh, designing some air loudspeakers that tamed reverberation in uh, cathedrals. Uh, well, cathedrals was a... Uh, was a byproduct, but in natatoriums. Natatoriums? Natatoriums. Nat? What's a natatorium? A natatorium is uh, the building that a swimming pool would be in. 
never heard that before. Yeah, well, it may I might have just made that up. <laughs> you may have. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of gnats and you know from the pool and everything. I think my dad made that up. I think I'm copying him on that. But a uh, the uh, was Jacques Cousteau a client? Yes, I, Jacques, thought, I thought you'd mention. Yeah, that. Jacques Cousteau's uh, was a customer of my father's. I understand his son. Uh, is still a customer of my father's company that my brother runs now. So we were around sound as kids, a lot of air speakers being tested in the house and uh, and also uh, underwater sound. So I became a uh, scuba diver, a certified scuba diver at a very young age and did plenty of uh, uh, diving underwater with underwater sound equipment. Listening to music underwater, pretty cool. Uh, tell uh, tell us uh, how what, what was one of the events that caused your father's uh, um, products to soar in terms of sales. I don't remember the year, but it was back. I'm going to guess 25 years ago or more that uh, synchronized swimming became part of the Olympics, and uh, when that happened. Uh, you know, the way those girls and guys could keep in sync underwater was by hearing his, by hearing the music provided by his underwater speakers. And so his business was good before that, but great after that. You've mentioned that on the, during the Olympics, they actually had close-ups where it showed, uh, what, the LaBelle company or what's it called? Yeah, LaBelle Labs. LaBelle Labs was shown, but did the commentators talk about it? They sure did. Yeah. It was Dad's 15 seconds of fame. They uh, zeroed in on his speaker, uh, uh, introduced synchronized swimming to the world, told him how it worked, and said the way that these young people can hear to stay in sync underwater is through the use of an underwater loudspeaker, and it zoomed in on Lubell Labs. So that was quite a day for us. I got on the phone and dialed my dad, who to let him know it was on and he was already watching it. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, so let's let's take the next step here. Let's talk about, okay, that's the way you were raised in a whole environment of speakers and audio and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and what happens next? Golly, that's broad. <laughs> what happens next? Well, you can talk about the Beatles. <laughs> okay, the Beatles. The Beatles. Okay, the Beatles. 1964. So right around the time my dad got the patent, the British invasion, the Beatles come to America. The average teenager listens to 10,000 hours of music between the 7th and the 12th grades, and I was right in there with them. Uh, probably a little more than that because I was a drummer and uh, really into music, and so I, I was – uh, I guess I'm around seven years old. I was uh, bought uh, a, a drum for Christmas or given a drum for Christmas. And then somewhere around my 13th birthday, a favorite cousin of mine uh, named Kenny gave me a set of Gretsch drums. And so I was playing drums and rocking out, listening to music at least 10,000 hours between the 7th and 12th grade. So I guess if that makes me a, uh, that, uh, an audiophile, then I am one. Well, okay, but let's explore that. You know, maybe I'm just reaching, and there's not something that's there. But there are a lot of kids that like the Beatles, right? And a lot of kids who, you know, got into a big record collection. We can talk about your record collection. But uh, do you see any ties between um, your love of music and maybe your um, appreciation for some of the 
nuances involved with sound and your kind of moving into the music world, both as being in a band, a drummer, and then you begin a DJ and all that. Is there is there a connection there? I think so. I think I just loved music and understood the the uh, power of music to uh, impact lives. I had. Uh, Felt like I might as well have had a frontal lobotomy as a kid, and and was taking instructions from the Cow Sills and Mick Jagger, and you know, uh, it pretty much uh, uh, filling my mind with uh, with music and with sound, and so uh, yeah, I I loved music. Became a DJ, got a job at a, at a radio station, and of course after becoming a uh, Christian. Uh, realized the power of music for both good and for evil. Uh, I was reading some listener letters that we had of J103 uh, earlier this morning and uh, read people talking about how their dad listened to country music and it was a sad, <laughs> sad environment in the house. And I, I am a big believer on you can change your environment by what you listen to. So I did uh, really get into the whole music industry and Christian radio, uh, all because of uh, my love for, uh, for music and also my understanding that music's powerful. What you listen to uh, really does make a difference in your life. Now, when you uh, started listening, did you have like a particularly cool stereo system or was it just a normal stereo system or did you have some other nuances because your dad had and you were coming from that background? Yeah, growing up, we had some great sound systems. I mean, not everybody you know uh, has a, uh, a, a an underwater speaker laying around the house. No, no, yeah, well, <laughs> drop yeah. that in the pool and <laughs> jump in and listen to the right, right. listen to the music. But so, Dad would have uh, you've heard of the Bose sound system. Right. The uh, inside component to those was a speaker I think called a CTS speaker, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the uh, advent of the little tiny speaker that was packed with a lot of power. And so Dad had columns that he made filled with those little CTS speakers. And so our sound system in the house was powerful. Yeah, We had subwoofers. We had yeah. tweeters. We had mid-range. We had all this great stuff. And, you know, JBL was uh, a name uh, that was floating around the house because we had uh, you know, the best of the best of the equipment because that's what he used. And so, uh, yeah. I so when you became a that. DJ and you start, or you're dealing with soundboards and stuff, or even if you're in a rock group, were you in a group? Yep. Oh, I was in lots of groups. Were, were, you, were you like the sound guy or were you involved in that? Not really. I had a basic understanding, maybe a little more than basic understanding of EQ and how to... Uh, again, equalize the uh, the, the uh, sound, and so I did, you know, pinch hit a little bit to help with that. But I was mainly a drummer in the bands. When you got to uh, uh, launching, excuse me, radio stations and uh, stuff, uh, did your background and a little bit of knowledge of uh, sound? Uh, play any role in understanding equipment and radio stations and towers and what you needed and all that sort of stuff. Little bit of a stretch, but 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 sure, I, I had a little knowledge that helped out. But I also probably the the 
the uh, thing that was to my credit more than how great of an electronic guy I was was I probably had a little of the common sense that Henry Ford had to hire people smarter than him, and I did the same. So I hired good engineers and, and people that were a lot smarter than I was to come in and do the technical work. Well, that's actually, actually not a small thing because um, uh, people who have enough acumen in a certain area um, – Usually that's what it is. They know that they don't, they're not the best. And so they know to bring in really top talent. Oh, yeah. Um, but most people don't have acumen in a certain area, and they don't know that they're screwing up by not bringing in the top talent. So they'll, they'll, they think they can fudge. Oh, it doesn't matter, you know, if this, that, and the other. But you had enough to know. I got to make sure I got some top talent in here, some of the right oh, yeah. engineers who can make oh, sure yeah. we got the right sound. Oh yeah. Uh, can you think of like certain types of uh, aspects of those decisions that might have been amateur hour that you that you weren't going to stand for? You know, not really, Dean. From the very beginning, we brought in top talent and great people that that really made made things made the difference, made things happen. I mean, when friends of mine heard we were starting a radio station you know there's a prophet's without honor in his own town so my closest friends probably thought it was going to be a little bit rinky dink and when we came on the air and uh, with great announcers like matt stockman and others that had great voices great processing great equipment and all that it uh you know they were real impressed they said oh my gosh we didn't know you're going to have a sound this this big well i mean so. break that down you, you you know you i think there's an answer here you just named three or four things that everybody's impressed with well what what could you have what kind of corners could you have cut that would have been a mistake well in in the very beginning we used a satellite network and a satellite network gave you a big sound the the corners we could have cut would be just to try to do it ourselves and put a Radio Shack microphone in a studio in the basement and hire a local radio announcer or do it myself. And and, and people do that. Yeah, sure yeah. they do. Yeah. And you end up with, this is W-E-A-K, the weak spot on your radio dial. <laughs> okay, good, good one. Uh, okay, um, moving along here. Um, uh, today, are you one of those guys who uh, can tell the difference between digital and analog and cares, or is that not your thing? A little bit. Again, I've associate with some guys that are better at that than I am, but but I do understand that the old analog sound is a lot fatter and wider, more bandwidth, and the digital is uh, is a lot less pleasant to listen to. I I am susceptible to uh, not enjoying the digital sound. Can can you hear the difference? Oh yeah, it's, I can't. Really? I've, I've got a friend who is a huge audiophile. He's got mm. the best sound system. Spends oh, yeah. thousands of dollars on all that kind of stuff. And he gets all excited and he's like, okay, listen to this record. Now listen to this CD. Hear the difference? <laughs> and I'm like, nope. <laughs> no. And, you know, I'm a captive. To, I'm, a, I'm a truth teller. You know, I can't, I can't BS, you know, so I've got to tell them. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I just can't really tell yeah. the difference. But audiophiles can. So, you know, that's why that's our subject today. You're an audiophile, so you can I hear it. I can, yeah. Um, uh, however, you're not one of these, um, uh, what's the word I want to look for, uh, idealists. Uh, I mean, pretty much the way you listen now is digital, right? 
Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not you're not insisting I'm only going to listen to to records and blah 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 or no. wave files, whatever. I mean, you you've you've moved on. I listen on my phone like everybody else does. Oh, and a Bluetooth send send it to a speaker. So uh, tell us your routine. So if you're in the car, you listen to a a, a handheld. Is it connected to your car speaker system? It is through okay. Bluetooth. And then when you get home, how do you listen? On Sonos. What's that? It's a digital system. Speakers. Yeah. So you, you, and your is your phone is connected to it, or yep. or that's yep. how you do it. Yeah. So it's all by phone. Pretty much. So you're a modern. I am. You're a modern listener. You're not. You know. You're not some throwback. I'm only going to do it the old way kind of guy, even though you appreciate the analog sound. Purist just in theory, not in reality. Is there other, um, is there any other uh, like old school thing that, that you lost the battle to or you're like, or maybe you're glad, you know, that we haven't changed yet, but, you know, differences in how uh, radio and sound was done 20, 30 years ago and how it's done now? Or is it, is it, is it all pretty much just as good as it was back then? Oh, I can't think of anything, Dean. No. I mean, it was, was radio analog? Can radio be analog? Yeah, sure. In the beginning, radio was. Now, uh, I don't remember how many years ago, probably close to 20, the FCC made us go digital, so it's all digital now. Is that a difference? Sure. And the cell phone companies went digital. And they told us how much better it was going to be, but it's actually a big lie. You talk to people on your phone now and go, I can't really understand what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah, back in the analog days of the old original cell phones, they were way more clear than the digital now. And you would know because you sold them. Oh, yeah. I was in the startup of the cell business. Yep. All righty. Let me look at my list here because I think we're almost done. Um uh, okay, last uh, last question. Um, tell us about, you have a uh, very old record in your office, or at least you showed it to me when it was in your office. Maybe you took it home now, but there's some somewhere in the house or somebody sent it to you or something, you found this record uh, that had something to do with World War II. <laughs> that record has been returned to its rightful owner. I had a... Uh, kind of neat experience one night uh, at a restaurant sitting up at the food bar at Carabas. I was talking to an older gentleman who uh, let me know that his father was a scientist. And I said, well, mine was too. And uh, he said, my father worked on underwater sound projects. And I said, excuse me? I said, my father's worked on underwater <laughs> sound projects. And next thing you know, we both discovered that our... Your twin brothers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, but our parents probably knew each other. In fact, I, we, we know that they had to have because my father actually uh, mentioned the name of the company that this gentleman worked for. And it was a, a oceanographic institute. And the album that he had was Underwater Sound, and it was uh, on a 16-inch uh, LP. And one of the things on this gentleman's bucket list was to have that converted to a digital file so he could actually listen to it, since he didn't have a 16-inch phonograph. And uh, he asked me if I could help him, and I said, sure I can. So we brought it here, and 
uh, part of the team at the radio station helped figure out how to do that. And we put it on a zip drive and gave him a copy of what was on that album. But it was actually uh, Sounds of uh, Ships, kind of a footprint that a ship makes in the ocean when it goes through the ocean. Uh, it leaves a, a sound, and that's what this early experimentation had uh, uh, been been done that was uh, actually tied to World War II. And they claim this sonar uh, experiments and, and such actually helped to win the war because they could identify through re reversing the transducer and making it into a microphone they could actually uh, chart what vessels were in the water when. And so they could tell, okay, there's a Japanese sub over here, there's a Russian sub over there, and they could do all this because they had marked uh, the uh, footprint of each vessel and actually had cataloged them. And uh, it was all done through underwater sound through this gentleman's father's work. And uh, there's a very good possibility they used my father's underwater transducers to make that happen. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a great story. Well, that's a good one to end on. Do um, you have anything else to share? Well, I guess to bring it all to home, at least the way I think, is that all this talk of sound and audio files and all that brings us to what we get to do for a living and that is part of what we do is to take uh, powerful Christian music and put it over the airwaves and now put it on uh, uh, in cyberspace if you will put it out on the uh, internet and to where the people are and reach a lot of young people and uh, this generation for Jesus Christ. So we're very thankful for the opportunity. I'm glad that God put it in my heart to be a part of the music industry because what we get to do now makes a, a difference, letting people hear the gospel of Jesus Christ 24-7, 365. And sometimes we forget that... Uh, the reason we're in this, we, sometimes we get caught up in the minutia of the business side or even the uh, technology side. But the real reason we're reminded when we get letters from people that says, your station totally changed my life. I was reading a, uh, one of the testimonies earlier. A young man wrote and said that he was in the uh, uh, local prison system and had been transferred from one prison to the other and to the other and he said just wanted to let he wrote us and said wanted to let you and your staff know that you're all rock stars because you have you're doing a great work and you've uh, providing Christian music like you do has totally changed my life and brought a light in the darkness in the prison system and uh, uh, Dean that's what uh, this is all about, and that's what we get to do, and that's what we're excited about is reaching people for Jesus Christ through the medium of music and um, radio. Good words. Um, here's an interesting little question. Um, I'm, 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 I'm planning to make this a Facebook post. I just hadn't got around to it, but I'll ask you the question. In creation, 
was the very first thing, light or sound? <laughs> You're gonna have to read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Read the first two. Read the first two verses. That'll help you a little bit. You already know them. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, "Let there be light." And there was. Sight or sound? Light or sound? That'd be sight. Because light is seen by your eyes. Um, this is the this is the audiophile podcast. Come on, Bob. I knew it was a trick question, but I figured so I'd what, give you a little. What's the word before light? Four words. God said. Said. So, in the spirit spirit of this Bobcast number five audiophile podcast. He spoke I'm arguing. The word. Yeah, I'm arguing that that the very first thing was was sound. Sound spoke. God spoke, and light came. So, and you know, I'm not a theologian, so if I'm screwing something up, y'all forgive me. Um, but it just seems like an interesting thing to ponder. Um, no, that's a great visual there. Uh, excuse me, a great sound. <laughs> That the Lord says, "Let there be." Yeah. So, 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 sound precedes sight, and words, and all that. Uh, and you know, there's a, you know, I'm doing a lot of video now for Partners Christian Media, and there's an old adage in video that 80% of video is audio. So, in, in <clears throat> you got to have great, spectacular, perfect audio, or video is awful. And so it just could be that in the whole sense of everything that uh, that audio, the word, the spoken, the sound, whatever precedes all things. Um, something to ponder. All right. I'm Dean Arnold, your host. This is Bob LaBelle. This is podcast number five. Uh, thank you guys for being with us and we'll see you next week.